Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. For me, it was the right fit against the New York Giants. Like, this is, this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I'm your host, Art Stapleton, and the bye week is in the rear view. Second half of the season is about to begin. The New York Giants at 6-2 and two are legit playoff contenders. I know, I know. Pinch yourself what you see week to week. You're still trying to convince yourself that this team is a legit contender to make the postseason. Is it too early? Is it smoke and mirrors? I don't believe it's smoke and mirrors. Did Joe Shane believe in this team? The general manager did not make any moves at the trade deadline. In actuality, the only move they made in the week prior to the trade deadline was to rid themselves of Kadarius Toney. He is now in Kansas City, as we watched on Sunday night. Two catches, more receiving yards on his first catch in Kansas City than he had the entire season here with the Giants. So we'll get into that. Obviously, the Giants, and I know the joke's been around social media, they're the only team that goes into the bye week and somehow loses something. They did lose something. Xavier McKinney is now out for a minimum of four games. After the accident, the Can-Am ATV accident when he was down in Cabo St. Lucas, Mexico, uh, certainly not what the Giants wanted to hear. Certainly not what McKinney wanted. And we can go on and on in terms of, should he been doing it? No. In hindsight, it's very easy to say, don't put yourself in that position. I'm someone who, if I were in that position and I had something to lose, I'd be afraid to leave the house. I'd wrap myself up in bubble wrap and not put myself in that position. But you can say the same thing about others. You know, we've seen guys post on Instagram that they're on the beach for a couple days during the bye week and who knows if they you know walk on the beach slice their foot on a shell and now they're out for an extended period of time yes there are things in contracts that discourage players from being involved in high risk activities jumping out of planes riding ATVs or motorcycles all that stuff is legit. The bottom line is Xavier McKinney is an ascending player on this team. It's unfortunate that he got injured. You take what he says at face value. If you're going to believe that he was on a sightseeing tour, whether he was riding the ATV or not, or driving the ATV or not, uh, there isn't a sense that he was out doing tricks on the ATV, 
and something fell on his hand, whether it was the ATV itself that tilted over and landed on his hand, fractured several fingers that required surgery when he returned home to New Jersey. And that's where they're at. So from a Giants perspective for football, it's a loss. You're not going to minimize the absence of Xavier McKinney. Julian Love will take over as the play caller. They'll have to backfill on who plays safety. You'll have Dane Belton and Julian Love be the pairing, but I think they'll try to use a little Jason Pinnock. I think they'll try to use a little Nick McLeod as an extra DB in those packages. Whether Landon Collins gets his third elevation or gets signed to the active roster and plays more of that hybrid safety linebacker position to fill in the box that remains to be seen. His numbers did go down. His snap count went down in Seattle. But I think he's a player that the Giants are going to look at uh, and week-to-week decide how much they're going to use Landon in the defensive game plan. So I know there are some who who want McKinney penalized and punished. This is punishment enough the guaranteed contract the guaranteed money in his contract that the Giants can go after is essentially from a football salary cap perspective minimal I think it's about 200 grand give or take as far as a salary cap cost so if you're going to go and try to take away 200 grand from a player who you still view as a cornerstone of this team and you want to sign him long term you know that McKinney still has the respect of the locker room and I believe that after talking to guys in the locker room this week. I don't think there's anybody who believes that Xavier McKinney uh, was reckless in this situation. He might have made a poor decision considering the way things turned out. But as far as being a captain, I don't see him being stripped of a captaincy. Uh, I think that's all peripheral ramifications. The bottom line is, Xavier McKinney's role on this team is so integral that doing anything to hurt that affects your team more than just allowing this to play out the way it is. Now, if this were a situation where this player had a ton of guarantees and what he had contract-wise, then the reality is you're looking at something that may have been voided. You know, someone has said to me, oh, well, what if, if it was uh, if it was Kenny Galladay, you know, what would have happened? Well, they would have voided his, his guarantees. That That's what it would have happened. But it's not Kenny Galladay. It's Xavier McKinney, who is a big part of this team. So that's the job of Brian Dable and Joe Shane. They need to gauge the the pulse of this team and make sure that his teammates and the respect they have for his teammates are reflected in what they do for McKinney. Cause I think that's important. So that was the big news coming out of the bye week So I wanted to get to that at the top of the show on today's show. We have Bert Bainbridge, the sports betting analyst for North Jersey.com. Bert's done a great job. He's been on the show before. We're going to talk Giants from an odds perspective. Big picture, week to week. And why is the week to week 
predictions for the Giants? Why do they differ from the big picture playoff projections for the Giants? Bert will shed some light on that. We'll tell you what you need to know going into the next couple games from a betting perspective. And you don't have to be gambling or betting uh, to get good insight from the way the odds makers view the games. And that's kind of why I love bringing Bert on is that, look, if you like to bet on games, he's going to give you that insight. But also, I think it gives added perspective to how people are viewing the Giants on a week-to-week basis. So we'll get into that with Bert. And then the final drive, your questions, my answers. We'll get into a lot of big-picture Giants stuff uh, that we can set up the second half uh, and go from there. But first up, without any further ado, let's get to my interview with Bert Bainbridge. Tell me the odds, Bert. All right, and joining me now in a return appearance, and I think it should happen more over the second half of the season because who expected the Giants to be smack dab in the middle of odds and playoff projections and everything else? But at 6-2, and two, it's a whole new world for Big Blue. So I'd like to welcome in Albert Bainbridge. Bert, my man, sports betting analyst for NorthJersey.com. And as his Twitter bio suggests... He correctly predicted Super Bowl, I guess that's what, 56? Is that right, last year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you, are a, you are a genius, my man. Uh, if I need odds, I go to Bert. Bert, thanks for joining me again. Of course, sir. thanks for having me again. I really do appreciate it. So, the Giants, when we talked preseason, we talked over-unders and uh, the idea of, I think we had them sitting at, or at least Typical had them sitting at, right around six and a half. I thought that's where we were at. Uh, but you look at where we're now. We're at the bye week. Give me your sense first off on what the Giants have been able to do odds-wise and in this first half, just how they've kind of kept odds makers on their toes a little bit with the way they've been able to win football games. Yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, preseason we were talking, we were both, I believe we were both on taking the under six and a half, around seven wins. On that total, we thought that was a safe bet. You know, it was the favorite bet going into this season. But, I mean, hey, these, this Giants team, this regime with uh, Dave, Brian Dayball and uh, Joe Shane has really proved us wrong. You know, winning six of their first eight games, you know, having upset wins along the way against the Packers, the Ravens, you know, come from behind wins, late fourth quarter wins. You know, they've really proved something that, you know, it's been a long time coming for a Giants team that hasn't made the playoffs in, you know, what, going on six or seven years now. So, you know, nobody, at least I, from my perspective, I did not see this coming. You know, if they win this week, you know, they're probably, they're going to hit that win total on Tipico. So, I mean, just what a turnaround for a team in just the first season under a new head coach and a new GM. And like we, and as we look towards Sunday, I mean, look, they're fight, you know, they're playing the Texans team who's, you know, they're the worst record in football and they're five point favorites. So, I mean, who would have saw this coming, you know, come late August, even early September before week one. Now it's interesting. They're down down to being five point favorites. Right. Uh, I believe it opened at six and a half, went up to seven, and now in in the aftermath of Xavier McKinney's injury, I wonder if that's at least contributing in part to where the Giants are coming out of the bye week. What have you seen? What do you what do you think? Because it just seems like no matter what they do, uh, they're not convincing the betting audience uh, in their ability to not just win games, but also uh, beat the spread because that's essentially they they've stayed within the spread 
Uh, I think it's six out of the eight games, yet they've been underdogs in seven of eight games when the game kicked off. So it's kind of a weird scenario uh, what's going on? What have you seen, uh, especially this week? Is it more the same that the betting public just isn't necessarily buying into the Giants? Yeah, no, I definitely think you're right with the McKinney injury. It seems like, you know, obviously he's one of the leaders of the defense um, for that unit. But you're right, like they are said they've covered six of eight games. They're one of the best teams in the league this year um, when it comes to covering games. And, and as you mentioned, they did open as six and a half point favorites and it's down to five, I believe. I believe the McKinney injury does have something to do with that. But, yeah, it just seems like that number is being bet down just because of uh, potentially McKinney and maybe the Texans can hold their own with their um, rookie running back, Damian, uh, Damian Pierce, who's been great to start this season. He's been unbelievable. You know, he just had, uh, I believe he had his career high against the Eagles last week on Thursday Night Football. A week ago, he was really good. But, um, yeah, I mean, down to five. I mean, I would, me personally, as we get into this game, like, I would still – I was comfortable taking the Giants laying the six and a half points, needing them to win by a touchdown. But I, I think the five and a half, there are the five points. Excuse me. I think it's still a great value. I take them. I think you know, as as we've noted, like you know, they played close one scoring games. A lot of come from behind wins so far this year. So far, I mean, their last game before the bye against the Seahawks, it was their first non one score game this year. So. You know, the Giants haven't, you know, they've played all their opponents close and have covered a lot. But I think this week, I think we're finally going to see something different. I think the Giants may uh, may win this one by uh, by at least one score um, come Sunday. So uh, with the five points that it's at right now, I would definitely take that. And from the money line, they were three they were three dollar favorites to start the week, and they're down to minus two thirty. So even getting better value as the game gets closer. But I'm in all I'm comfortable still with the Giants at five point favorites right now. I'm typical. You know, it, it's kind of funny, Bert, because you look at the situation and, you know, you go back to that Seattle game. There there certainly could be some carryover from that Seattle game. But anyone who watched that game beyond the numbers knows that, you know, it was a one-score game and the Giants were getting the ball back after a big stop, uh, ironically, a, a Xavier McKinney sack of Geno Smith. And then the Giants, Richie James, fumbled his second punt of the game. Uh, and that pretty much salted away the game. But, you know, the Giants had followed the same script in Seattle that they had followed in all their other wins this season and that they were giving themselves an opportunity late in the game uh, to go down the field, try to score, and and kind of put the pressure on the other team. Now, obviously, you know, look, it's the NFL. We know, you know, you're not going to erase a, a fumble on special teams uh, and say it didn't happen, so they lose by two scores. But like you said, um, you know this one score ga- game situation for the Giants has been there all year. Uh, I do agree with you uh, in terms of this week. Um, it's it's an interesting thing from a betting perspective with the Giants playing host to Houston and then Detroit next week. These are games that I think Giants fans want to just mark up as victories. Uh, especially with Dallas looming on Thanksgiving, and then you've got Washington and and Philly on deck after that. Uh, but from from your perspective, when you look big picture now, Giants going into the second half, what are you anticipating as far as uh, where the public is going to see the Giants? Uh, is this game going to kind of set a tone for the second half in terms of whether or not the first half was a quote unquote mirage that that people looked at? Uh, as far as Brian Dable's Giants? Yeah, I believe right now, I mean, I think if they do come out and have a convincing win, you know, finally not having one-score game and 
you know, win by, let's say, you know, 10, 14 points at least at home against, you know, against a Texan squad that is struggling so far this year. I think that would change some, uh, some minds in the public. But right now, as we sit for the rest of the, for the second half, the regular season win uh, total over under is um, 10 and a half. And right now, the under 10 and a half is the, is the, is the favorite as it's at minus 170. So you have to lay almost $2 um, if you want their under. But right now, I mean, they're over 10 and a half. Like you mentioned, some of their opponents, though, you know, coming out of the bye, their first two games at home against Houston and Detroit. And like you said, you know, a lot of Giants fans in particular want to mark those two as wins. And, you know, if you get that, you know, you're sitting at eight and two and you still play the Commanders twice. You know, you do play the Eagles uh, twice as well. But, you know, 10 and a half, you know, could they get the 11 wins? I don't think it's out of the realm of, of possibility. You know, they play a cold squad that's, you know, they just fired that their head coach. You know, they're starting to back up. They bench Matt Ryan. Um, that game's at home as well on New Year's Day. So, like, I, I do see. I think we could see this ten. And I think the Giants could squeak out maybe eleven wins and hit that total. So, that's that's the way I lean. You know, before the season, we were. I was definitely on. You know, this might just be a you know six and eleven or seven and ten squad. But the way it's going this year, I mean, I think they definitely could push towards that eleven wins as we. Uh, finish the regular season yeah that 10 and a half is probably the best it's probably a very good number in terms of uh second half and you know total win total now that it's adjusted because uh i think there are four if you just go the games that they're going to be favorites in uh which are houston detroit you mentioned indy on new year's day which at the time i don't think anyone would have anticipated that you know the colts were an afc uh, Dark Horse, uh, I think that a lot of people were talking about Matt Ryan and Frank Reich and obviously the running attack, Jonathan Taylor, and uh, now the Colts, you look at it and, you know, who knows if they're imploding at this point with Jeff Saturday as their head coach. Um, but then you look at the two games left with Washington and, okay, give them a split with Washington at worst. And then you look at that last game of the season against Philly, uh, do, do the Eagles still have something to play for there? Uh, you know, that could be a game where Philly is just kind of laying low and saying, all right, we're getting ready for the playoffs. If they have, for, especially with the way the AFC, the NFC is shaping up, uh, if as long as the Vikings don't have an opportunity to make a run at the Eagles for home field advantage, uh, I think, um, you know, the Eagles could, that last game of the season might not be Eagles at full strength. So, but it is a, I think it's a great number. I, I really do. I think 10.5 is probably the right spot on in terms of, where the Giants will finish up. Talk to me a little bit about the NFC playoff picture because we've seen odds uh, all over the place. I ended up quoting uh, 538 this week, which timely with the election, and uh, I think maybe they're reevaluating their models off of the the predictions of the election, but we won't go down that road. Um, but in terms of they had Giants making the playoffs at 78%, uh, which uh, might seem high, at least if you're going back to where they are, and especially if you don't believe the Giants. But when you assess the NFC playoff picture, um, which is still very weird, like you said, to have to go back to 2016 for when the Giants were actually looking at where they would slot into the playoff picture. What are you seeing in the NFC? And do you agree with essentially, you know, some of these models saying that the Giants have, you know, almost an 80% chance of, of reaching the playoffs? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do think that's, that's you know, that's probably how it's looking so far, you know, going into the season. Not, obviously, not a lot of people, including myself, saw that. But, yeah, right now, 
as they sit on Tipico, they are um, they are minus two thirty favorites to make to reach the playoffs. So you know the two dollar thirty cent favorites to make the playoffs. So right now, if you want to, if you don't think they're going to reach there, maybe struggle in the second half. Uh, plus one ninety, that may be your way to go. But I think the minus two thirty, you know, that's a lot a lot of juice away for them to make the uh, playoffs. But yeah, right now as we sit, when we look at the NFC as a whole, obviously the Eagles they're undefeated. You know they're they're plus one seventy five just to win the NFC conference in general, but they have the best. Uh, record in the regular season. I mean, they're obviously they're the only undefeated team at this point. They're minus four hundred, but the Giants are right there to uh, to have the best record at plus three thousand in the NFC. But you know, right now, obviously, it just looks with the way Philly's playing. I mean, obviously, you can question. You know, some of the teams or quarterbacks that they've played so far. You know, have they really faced the challenge yet um, to this point? But um, but right now, they obviously sit as as the heavy favorites to finish with the best record in the NFC and to win the NFC at home, but I mean, you look at teams like San Francisco, obviously Dallas is just getting uh, Dak back, and the Giants still have to play them, like you mentioned, on Thanksgiving, so that should be an interesting game in Dallas. Um, but I mean, yeah, right now, I mean, the NFC East, you know, who would have saw this, especially a year ago with how the division played last year? I mean, one of the worst divisions in the league record-wise, and now you come this year, the NFC East and the AFC East all have teams that have at least four wins, and you know, you know, each each division has at least three teams over 500 so far. But um, but yeah, so the NFC. I mean, it obviously looks as of right now the odds makers have it on tip to go as the Eagles are the heavy favorite. But um, but I mean, you know, the Giants are right now they're right there um, as well. So you know, it's interesting. I think um, when you look at the NFC picture as a whole, um, I think the NFC South and the NFC North are kind of out of the wild card mix, if you will, because you, I think they're just going to be division champs. So ultimately, the wild card race comes down to the NFC East and the NFC West. Uh, you mentioned the 49ers. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to see how it plays out with the 49ers and the Seahawks. Um, I think they play twice in the second half of the season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and the Rams right now are, are kind of teetering on that on that cliff after losing to Tampa Bay the way they did. And then obviously the NFC South looks like it's going to be a one a one playoff bid. Uh, if we talk little, uh, you know, like a little college sports, it's almost a one playoff bid uh, division this year, which is kind of a surprise uh, in that in that spot. Uh, what what do the odds say about the NFC West? Uh, in terms of Seattle, San Francisco, and and then obviously you have Arizona and the Rams, who are, uh, in my mind are are at least a step behind, maybe even more than that. Uh, do you think that any of those teams can get into, you know, a serious playoff push if they don't win that division? Probably San Francisco is the is the only one uh, if Seattle wins, right? Right. Yeah, and that's that's the way I was looking. You know, preseason. Uh, you know, I was back in the Rams coming off that Super Bowl win in their home stadium with that defense and how Matthew Stafford was playing with Cooper Cup. I thought maybe you know they could have some success and win that division again. With but with how they've struggled on offense and especially to run the ball too, and you know that late game collapse they had last week against Tampa Bay, where they gave up the game winning touchdown to fall under five hundred. I mean, you know they they are the long shot. So right now. As you mentioned, the Niners are the favorite to win the division at minus 140. The uh, Seahawks are not far behind at plus 150. And then you have the long shot with the Rams at plus 1,000 and the Cardinals all the way down at plus 4,000. But, yeah, with the with the Niners, you know, Jimmy G, obviously, you know, everybody has their own opinions of Jimmy G and, you know, if he should have been traded if he with everything after drafting Trey Lance. But, I mean, they are the favorite, after, especially after acquiring uh, Christian McCaffrey from the Carolina. 
either. I mean, Geno Smith, you know, you know, his career has been up and definitely more uh, up and down at times for sure. But I mean, the way he's played this year, he's definitely uh, up there. I believe he's the odds-on favorite on Tipico to win um, comeback play of the year right now. A little bit ahead of Saquon Barkley, but right now I think it's a two-head race definitely between the Niners and Seahawks, which the odds makers have it on Tipico as minus one forty for. Uh, the 49ers and plus 150 for the Seahawks. So I think those are the two top teams just overall the team-wise and how they've played so far this year. But right now, I would definitely go, I'm with you. I'd agree with you with the Niners right now. You know, and I think that's kind of the way it's going to work out, right? I mean, right now, mm-hmm. as far as the playoffs, if the nine, the the loser of the a of the NFC West with the Forty ers and the Seahawks are going to be one wild card. You would imagine the Cowboys is going to are going to be another wild card, and then the Giants are right at the top of the list of anybody else for the wild card. So it creates an interesting scenario from a better's perspective or just from an odds perspective is that there aren't necessarily short-term believers in the Giants week to week, right? We've now seen the the spread get bet down a little bit in terms of playing the worst team, the team with the worst record in the league. But then when you flip to the big picture – because of what the Giants have done to this point, it's almost like they have more believers in the big picture that they're going to make the playoffs than they do that they're actually going to win the games yeah. that, that are guaranteed to get them to the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? Exactly, yeah. You know, exactly. And like you mentioned, those 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 four games um, that you mentioned, like Houston, Detroit, Indianapolis, and uh, you know, they still have to play twice against Washington, so one of those is at home. So all you know, Houston, Detroit, Washington, and Indianapolis all at home. Still, so I mean, I think that definitely works in the Giants' favor as well um, as we get later in the season too. So, like you said, it's it's crazy that big picture wise, obviously they're they're big favorites to um, they're now to reach the playoffs. But weekly, it still seems like they're just you know up until this week, you know, they just get doubted or whatnot. And obviously in Seattle, they were two. I believe they closed that two and a half point underdogs, and Seattle Seattle was able to cover that game. Yeah, uh, like you said, with the fumble. With, uh, to really change that game from a one-score game, so but we'll see how it is. With you know, I think I think these next two weeks will be telling against Houston and Detroit because then you, like you mentioned, you have that game at Dallas on Thanksgiving, and what that number or that spread will be if the Giants can handle their business and take and um, have rather convincing wins against two of the bottom-tier teams right now in the NFL and in the uh, Texans and Lions. So I, I, that, I think that's. That that could be um, a turning point too. If, if the Giants are able to hold hold up in Dallas, or maybe even sneak out a victory, if they have great uh, performances against Houston and Detroit as well in these uh, next two weeks. He's Burt Bainbridge. Burt, why don't you tell everybody where you can be found? Uh, obviously on social media, so they can follow you. Also on NorthJersey.com with all your game previews. They're just excellent. If you're if you're missing out on them, you need to go find Bert on NorthJersey.com and follow his his betting previews every week. Uh, they're certainly uh, stock full of information in terms of uh, the betting, but just also just the the interest in the odds and how that factors in. But Bert, why don't you tell everybody where where they can find you on on social? Yeah, for sure. On Twitter, yeah, you can follow me at Bert underscore Bainbridge on uh, Twitter. And like Art mentioned, at, uh, at NorthJersey.com, if you just give a little type in, you can either go to sport, you can uh, type in sports betting, or if you just search my name, Albert Bainbridge, B-A-I-N, and then Bridge, you can just you'll follow my work. will just come up right there. So those are the two main places, Bert underscore Bainbridge on Twitter, or search sports betting, or my name on uh, at North Jersey, and you'll find all my uh, stuff related for this week as well, and I'll have an Eagles. Uh, I know we've been talking a lot about Giants, but I just have an Eagles and the uh, Commanders preview, so that'll 
A lot of juice for that. You know the Giants, especially if they take care of business on Sunday, are going to be focused in on that Monday night game between the Eagles and the Commanders. And, you know, who knows? Every day it's it's something new with, with the Commanders. And, uh, you know, so we'll see what that shapes up to be on uh, on Monday night. Bert, always a pleasure to be on, uh, to have you on the, uh, the podcast. And I certainly want to do it more in the second half. But thanks for joining me. And, um, you know, keep up the great work over the second half of the season in the NHL, in the NFL. For sure, awesome. All right, that sounds great. I'd love that too. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, thanks again to Bert for joining me this week. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that perspective, and we'll try to get him on later on in the season, maybe heading into the fourth quarter of the season to see where the Giants are sitting from an odds perspective. All right, time right now to go to the final drive. Your questions via Twitter, hashtag all in art and gives me an opportunity to kind of bounce around a little bit, give you some big picture answers as far as where the giants are uh, looking forward. Uh, and then I'll finish the show with my prediction for Sunday's game. First up, Jacob Steinberg, who is a player that played more of a reduced role in the first half of the season due to either injury or lack of opportunity that you expect to take a step in the second half and make more of an impact. Well, the one obvious one I'll give you, I'm going to go straight on offense is that Wondell Robinson's going to have a big role in the second half. I, I truly believe that. I think they're going to use Wondell in several different situations. I think they've probably mapped out uh, some of the things that they can do with Wondell now that he's healthy. Uh, so I would expect that to happen uh, go back to the beginning of training camp and some of the things we saw in the first couple days, how the Giants really want to use Wandell in that weapon role. Uh, and it's similar to what they had envisioned, or at least the previous administration had envisioned with Kadarius Tony. I think Wandell Robinson is a much better, more polished route runner than Kadarius is. So I would look at Wandell. And then the other one would be Tanner Hudson. I think the Giants are going to use Tanner Hudson more in a receiving role here in the second half, especially early on. Try to use the games against Houston and Detroit to try to set some things up. Uh, that also factors in maybe a, a Lawrence Cager. Uh, and you saw they took a deep shot. Daniel Jones missed him against Seattle. That was a potential big play. So those two tight ends, while they wait for Daniel Bellinger uh, to get back healthy, I think those are two guys to watch on offense too. And I'm not talking about guys becoming fantasy football players. Uh, I'm just talking about guys who can make contributions moving forward uh, in this offense that they really haven't been used uh, as much as the Giants would like, or at least effectively that they could be used. Uh, one note on Bellinger. Talked to him yesterday, both in the group and then separately from the group of reporters. Uh, he had the the plate put in uh, right underneath his eye. Uh, essentially, the way he was describing it, it was underneath the orbital bone and his septum to stabilize the fracture that was there. Still a little bloodshot. He said he still has some double vision, uh, but in terms of where he's at as far as Recovering from that injury, it's still too, to, too soon to tell. They're going to put a visor on him and when he comes back on the field. He's been doing some running, and that certainly helped out. Uh, getting the feeling back in terms of, 
I'm out here and I could actually try to play football again. He does believe he'll be back this season. The only uncertainty is this isn't necessarily a, a football injury. So they've got to determine when he's not at risk to re-injuring it. And that's not an easy thing. I, I said to him yesterday, is it almost like determining when a boxer can get back in the ring after this kind of injury? And, you know, he I think he kind of agreed with that st- sentiment, is that, yes, he's going to be wearing a helmet and a face mask with a visor, but they also don't want to put him out on the field until they're sure that he could sustain that kind of physical blow if it comes to that. So that's where the uncertainty is. I think once his vision clears up and he gets to the point where uh, the swelling is completely gone, then they'll make the determination from an eye perspective, uh, how they protect the eye going into a game. And then, then he can get back out there on the field. So good question. Hope that helps with the other guys, Jacob, but I wanted to make sure I mentioned uh, the stuff about Bellinger. Julio Sousa wants to know, can the Giants use Kenny Galladay successfully in the number two role with Slayton getting deep and Kafka making them schem- making some schematic roles, uh, routes for him? Uh, you know, I think you have to go back to the Ravens game, which is, I believe, when Kenny was hurt. And Galladay was hurt blocking. And to be frank, he was blocking his ass off that game. I mean, Galladay was in making plays in that offense, but not from a perspective that you're used to seeing. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's safe to count on Galladay for making plays, but there were times last year where on slants, on some crossers, that Galladay was making big catches for the Giants. Numbers-wise, doesn't look like it. But I can remember at least one or two games where Kenny Galladay had two or three catches in a row for first downs and being in that position. It's just a matter of being able to rely on Galladay within this offense. You're not going to change what you do to get Galladay involved. It's can Galladay fill a role in what you do well as an offense. I'm all for adapting to the personnel you have, but you don't want to change your person that you don't want to change your offensive plan that works for 10 guys, but doesn't work necessarily for one. And I think that's what the giants have to figure out here in the second half. Bill Shockley says with, with the seemingly sudden change from let them all go. As far as a player's perspective, who do you see the giants offering extensions? I think the giants would like to bring back uh, Julian love. I think ultimately long-term, I think they want, uh, Andrew Thomas in the fold. I think they'll want Xavier McKinney, despite what's taken place the last week or so. Uh, I think, you know, those are probably the three guys that are right at the top. I think the franchise tag is in play for both Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. Um, and uh, that's, at this point, I think that's where I'd be in terms of um, what they're looking at for extensions. I think they want Dexter Lawrence here long-term. They did pick up his fifth-year option, so he is under contract for next year. So I would imagine there will be some contract discussions with Lawrence in the offseason and then maybe into next season to get him off that franchise tag. Uh, not the franchise tag. To get him off that fifth-year extension, roll it into a longer-term extension, uh, and make that happen. So um, that's where that's at uh, right now. That would be my... Um, 
my take. Isaac Medina wants to know, do we finally have the coach and GM in place for many years to come? You know, Isaac, I know you want to pin things down. It's only natural. Uh, but I think you're positive. It's a positive first step, optimistic. Joe Shane and Brian Dable being in lockstep. You don't have a power struggle between GM and head coach. You don't have a philosophical difference between GM and head coach. So I think the Giants certainly have embraced that. But I've seen enough to see how quickly that can change in this league, as in any business. So I'm not going to all of a sudden say Joe Shane and Brian Dable are the guys who are going to lead this team back to the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm encouraged by what I've seen. I think there's some optimism. I would temper it. Giants have been scorned and scarred by getting too far ahead of themselves. So I would temper the expectations. I think Dable does a good job about that. I think Shane does a good job about that. I think the fan base and the media could kind of fall in with that idea is that this is about 2022. I like what Shane did at the trade deadline about 2023 and beyond that. He didn't compromise and it just remains to be seen what this team looks like uh, next year. I think it's going to look a lot different in, in a lot of different places. That rolls right into Eric Williams's question. How many off-seasons will it take to add some depth to this roster so the team can get better and withstand injuries? I think, Eric, I think they've done a good job. Look at the offensive line and look at the numbers on the offensive line and what the Giants have been able to do. You have guys on who are not in the starting lineup right now. Nick Gates, Shane Lemieux, uh, is in his 21-day window to get back. Matt Pert is in his 21-day window to get back. None of these guys are factors as your starting lineman. You know, then you have Solomon Kinley on the practice squad. You have Corey Cunningham on the practice squad. They've built a deep offensive line group here, and I think it's a start, but you're talking about Tyree Phillips and Josh Azudu and those guys now having to fill in for a Ben Bredesen and an Evan Neal, the reality is the Giants also lost Marcus McKeithen to an ACL in the preseason. You know, so they're the numbers game that they're they're winning the numbers game right now in the offensive line room. And I think that's a huge step forward. That to me is the most encouraging part of what Joe Shane has done roster wise for this team. I think this time next year, you're going to see a roster that is deeper at those positions that you say, but they do still have a ton of big questions to answer this, this year, especially when it comes to the running back and to the quarterback. So our final question will be from D Cowan, uh, good buddy of mine on Twitter all the time. Appreciate your coverage. Uh, appreciate your following our coverage and uh, always being a part both of my coverage on NorthJersey.com and the podcast. His question is, if Daniel Jones keeps playing well, but the Giants decide to reset with a rookie quarterback anyway, where do I think Jones ends up? You know, I thought about this question before I went on the show, and I have two options I think Las Vegas would be an option, depending on what happens with Derek Carr. Uh, I think Josh McDaniels liked uh, 
Daniel Jones, from what I understand in the draft process, when he went up to New England uh, during that process. So I think Daniel Jones would be an option in Las Vegas. Now, depending on who gets the full-time job next year in Indianapolis, what about Daniel Jones to Indianapolis? Mike Kafka right now is being touted as the leader in Vegas to be the head coach in Indianapolis. What if Kafka gets that job and he wants Daniel Jones to come aboard uh, so Indy can get that quarterback situation uh, handled? So those are two spots I would keep an eye on. Uh, And then obviously there are others depending on things break out. Uh, If Brady retires, what does Tampa Bay do? You know, does Tampa Bay, if they have a different change offensively, uh, do they look to bring in an established quarterback uh, to kind of steady the the ship, so to speak? Uh, Maybe Daniel Jones goes into play there. Um, so we'll see how the rest of the season plays out to see if Daniel Jones is going to be with the Giants next year or elsewhere. But thanks for all the questions on the final drive. My prediction for Sunday, I have the Giants 21, the Texans 17. I think, I don't, looking at the weather reports, I don't think the weather is going to be great. Uh, I think. Damian Pierce is going to give the Giants problems running, and I think Davis Mills, the numbers say he's pretty good off of play action. Brandon Cooks will play for Houston. I think the Giants have to shake off a little bit of a hangover coming out of the bye week. Ultimately, I don't see how Houston stops Saquon Barkley. I think the Giants will make more plays. Uh, I'm not necessarily concerned. I I want to open up Daniel Jones a little bit more in the passing game. I think these are the two weeks against Houston and Detroit to do it. Uh, I think ultimately the Giants could win by a touchdown or more. But right now I'll go in and say, you know, I said 21-17. Maybe it's more of a 24-17. And I think it could fluctuate there. But that's what I have. I have the Giants winning the game. I think there'll be moments where this crowd will will be a factor. They need to be. They've been a factor. I got a story on NorthJersey.com talking about the home field advantage that they've tried to build here. The Giants are tied for third in the league with most false starts for an opponent in your own stadium. That's eight. They're tied with Seattle at third, only behind the Steelers at two and Dallas at one. So the crowd at MedLife Stadium is actually having an impact. Somehow they've gone from what was an empty stadium down the stretch of last season to the first half this year. Obviously winning plays a big role, but this crowd's been all in all year. Even in the Cowboys game that they lost at home, they were all in. So I think the crowd deserves a lot of credit. It'll be interesting to see how they come out of the bye week as well. You're not just looking at the Giants and whether or not they're flat. I want to see what the crowd looks like on Sunday. And are they still buying in? Are they still all in with that 6-2 and two start with the Giants on the verge playing two teams with, with losing records, having the chance to be 8-2 and two going into Thanksgiving against the Dallas Cowboys. Thanks for listening this week. We'll be back with a post-game podcast on Sunday after the Houston game. Always check out my coverage on NorthJersey.com and across the USA Today Network. For Burt Bainbridge... And my producer, Paul Wood, 
Thanks for listening to All In, and we'll catch you on Sunday. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.